Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another Fifth Step webinar. Um, this time of year, it's terrible, right? You're all doing budgeting, you're all going through the process of trying to keep a CFO happy and keeping them aware of everything that's going on within your business and what the business is asking for next year. Well, this webinar is going to be perfect for you guys if you find yourselves in that situation. We're going to be talking about budget season and how to reduce costs. Now, a little bit of housekeeping. Those of you who have been on our webinars before will know this uh, this drill, but we're going to be recording the webinar. Uh, there'll be audio recordings and a video recording, both available by or on or before Monday the 29th. Please do ask questions throughout the webinar. If you've got anything that springs to mind at all, ask the question. If we've got time to cover it off at the end, we will do so. If we don't have time to cover it off at the end, but we can uh, cover it off afterwards, then we'll do that as well. So do please ask your questions, anything that's coming to mind. So I'm very pleased uh, today to be here with um, Sean from Close Brothers. Um, before I do that, I'll just introduce Fifth Step very briefly. Um, for those of you who have not come across Fifth Step before, we are a consultancy company working around the world, but predominantly from our offices in uh, London, New York, and Bermuda. And we're providing IT leadership, change leadership, and resiliency leadership. And I'm very pleased today to be here with Sean from Close Brothers. So, Sean, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Darren. Thanks. Um, Sean Callanan, I work for Close Brothers Technology Services, which is part of uh, Close Brothers Group. Uh, we're a relatively new uh, business unit of, of Close Brothers, so we've been trading now for just over two years. Um, and we've uh, essentially set the business up to help our customers to uh, find new ways to finance their technology solutions. So creating flexible ways for them to acquire and manage uh, the, the life cycle and the acquisition of their technology requirements. That's fantastic, Sean. And I think that's very, um, you know, very appropriate time of the year for us mm. to be talking about this. And, you know, coming into the new financial year for many organizations and a great service and really fits with the fifth step ethos of mm. flex up and flex down mm. and that business focused flexibility. So that's really good stuff. Um, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about how you work and um, uh, how it all fits together? Yeah. So, so when we set the business up just over three years ago, one of the things we, we spent an awful lot of time in doing was working with some of the, the market analysts such as IDC and Gartner. Um, and what was clear to us, there was a myriad of technology solutions that customers required. So we sat down and pulled together um, what you can see now on, on the slide deck are the four pillars. And the four pillars of service capability that we offer encompass all the requirements that our customers are asking for. So it starts from the technology acquisition. So it's helping our customers find the right technology, not necessarily what they're being told is the right, but what the right technology is for their business outcomes for the right price. And of course, provide a, a wraparound investment strategy from a funding perspective. Yep. Um, and also helping them find the right solutions around the in-life management of the equipment. So whether that's from the very basics of installing the equipment from the very beginning through to in-life management, asset tracking, any of the kind of business continuity or data management services they're asking for. And of course, helping them focus on managing that product at end of life. So of course, as they enter into the acquisition process, they might have some existing technology. They need to look at managing the end of life data security, the environmental compliance. So, so helping them really address some of those quite complex issues sometimes yep. around end of life security and of course being compliant with uh, GDPR requirements. And that's a really interesting point right now um, because 
um, the ecological impacts of hardware and hardware mm. recycling are becoming ever more important to businesses and to obviously the CIOs who are ultimately responsible for that destruction. And you've raised, um, you know, the G word there, GDPR, <laughs> as part of uh, for yeah, as part of the the requirements there to make sure the hardware is um, disposed of both ethically if it's yeah. going to be recycled but also that the data on it is destroyed um, and you're not going to you know no hard drives are going yeah. to um, landfill heaven forbid that that should be mm. happening but if they're going to landfill um, at least the, the data isn't uh, still accessible from them yeah it, it's it's uh, an often overlooked part of the life cycle process with a lot of customers technology you know a lot of our customers are spending vast amounts of money mm. on financing and managing the in-life cybersecurity and, and data management of those data subjects information and, yeah. and what tends to get forgotten about is when they finished using that machine and they've switched it off yes they think that that requirement's over yeah so it, then having to to you know, make sure there's a robust process in place to help them manage the logistics piece but also so actually making sure that they've got a certified government approved process to then deal with that end of life um, data security is, is so important that's fantastic john mm. i think that um the importance of that is only going to grow over time. Yeah, you know, we've seen a, a big increase in the last two years in, in those kinds of concerns. I remember having some of these conversations probably um, early 2000s, mm -hmm. uh, having conversations with organizations and saying, how are you disposing of your data and, uh, and your media mm -hmm. at end of life and having blank uh, blank stares and people you know jokingly saying oh you're suggesting we should drill our hard drives and it's like uh, yes I am yeah and but still yeah. you know the looks of um, horror when they uh, uh, they thought I had some kind of uh, strange um, uh, strange individual who was uh, um, hyper aware of data security but you know now we're um, you know, we're certainly in that world now where organizations taking it very seriously and have to too so how does a how does a CIO who is perhaps got projects that are running at the moment or um, perhaps got a new project that's starting, let's say in the new year, given that we're in um, you know, end of October now, perhaps they've got a project in, uh, in the new year that's going to be starting. What's the typical process? How do they get this kind of yeah. process started? There, there are a number of ways in, in how we can help our customers. The earlier we can get involved and sit down with any of the customers, whether it's the CIO or the CFO or any of the, the C-suite or any of their management structure around the technology changes, the earlier we can get in there and talk to them about what it is they're looking to achieve. So I guess the first place to start is understand the key business outcomes. What are they trying to achieve and how is technology enabling them to get there? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the most important pieces uh, for us to, to get involved in and understand because if we don't know what they're trying to achieve out of the technology transformation, it's very difficult then to understand if they've got the right technology or they're being offered the right technology. Mm -hmm. um, and often we get pulled in where all of those decisions and all of that consultancy work's been done. So we might be pulled in almost at the final hour where they've made the decision, they have their, their supply chain, and actually all they're trying to do is to speed that acquisition process up. So they yes. might have to wait until yes. the next round of budget's available. Yeah. What we can obviously do is look into the best structure to help finance that now. Yes. So instead of waiting for that transformation of the technology change, we can build a, um, an investment strategy, a financial solution, a lease, um, that enables them to do that a lot quicker and actually a lot more cost effective. And one of the key things we offer is what's called a residual based lease. And that enables us to take a future investment upfront mm -hmm. to help discount the cost of the technology they're financing over the term of the lease. Yeah. And there's some other benefits that come with that as well, which I'm sure we'll, we'll cover off. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we will as we get onto the onto the next slide. So 
so acknowledging the um, that you guys like to get involved as early as possible, and that's yeah. the ideal way. Mm. Is there a, you know, if there's a CIO listening to this at mm. the moment, or someone with a, a project that's about to start, mm. um, you know, in a few months' time, is there a time frame, a minimum time frame, where they say, oh, okay, well, I can't speak to those guys because it's too short of notice now. Mm. Is there a minimum time frame that you guys, or or or, or is it not? Does it not work like that? That's a guys? really good question. So. We, we, we have some customers that come to us sort of beginning of the week and need financing straight away. Yeah. So there is, of course, a due process we have to go through, as you would expect, being an FCA regulated business. There are various different steps and, and, and stairs almost that we have to go through. So a, a clear governance process yes. from a risk perspective, but also from a treating them, you know, treating customer fairly perspective. We've got to ensure that we've outlined all the pricing, gone through the documentation, gone through the usual risk assessments for, for whether that customer is appropriate for, for lending and, and financing the equipment. But you know, if somebody approaches us at the beginning of the week, if we really do push hard, yeah, it's quite possible the end of the week we've wow. put a solution in place. Well, that's phenomenal. I mean, and that adds a, a whole heap of um, flexibility. Mm. I mean, certainly there have been um, projects in my previous career that mm. um, got delayed, um, you know, possibly six months mm. because they've been mm. waiting for things to fall into place, waiting yeah. for the budget to become available. And obviously, if if we could have started things in that six months lead up yeah. rather than the project being late, it could have actually ended up being on time. Well, the great thing about technology leasing is that actually it doesn't have to be for future projects. It could also be an organization who historically have had you know, a CapEx experience. They paid cash for all their technology, but have had a change in strategy. So even though they may have already acquired that technology and put it in place and they're using it, there are ways to look at how to transfer the ownership of the assets and monetize them and put them onto residual lease historically. So retrospectively looking at their- Now that's a really interesting opportunity for, again, CIOs mm. or you know any uh, executive leader who might be listening to this presentation now. Mm. Um, that opportunity to go back and um, yeah. reap the rewards almost retrospectively, if you like, so you're reducing the costs for your um, the years going forward uh, for that uh, for yeah. the hardware investment you've already made. Yeah, and the great thing is if, if you've got other areas you want to invest that capital into, so you might have other investment strategies, whether it's M&A or, or whatever ideas you have as a business, you know, it frees up the value that you've invested in the technology to go use elsewhere now, not next time you hit your budget. So, yeah. so it is a great way of realizing capital from, from an expense you've already incurred. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. That's phenomenal. Um, I, and I think that's a very powerful. I think it's a, um, a tool that I wish I'd had in my toolbox, um, you know, when I was, um, yeah, when I was in a CIO position um, and in an executive position, I, re I really wish, um, mm. you know, the number of projects, as I say, that uh, were perhaps running late or were late starting as a result of that. Yeah. Um, stuff that I really wish I've had the opportunity to um, um, to take advantage of. So let's go on to your next slide mm -hmm. here. And now I'm I'm really interested in this, and we've spoken about this a couple of times about how this actually lowers the costs mm -hmm. of um, of a project or the investment. Mm -hmm. So talk us through the um, you know some of the background to that, mm -hmm. and then uh, walk us through some of the other details and some of the other benefits you've got on the slide here. What do you know, it, it, you know, we've, we've talked about the size of the market. You know, that it, it's, it's huge. Uh, the, the technology space is incredible, and I think it. I think the slide talks about it. Actually, it, it, the, the market is something like 60 plus billion pounds mm. worth of, of technology acquisition going on each year. So it's a huge market. Um, 
one of the, the key things, and I think the biggest challenge that, that a lot of companies have is that I don't, I'm not sure they really do understand the true cost of owning their assets. Yes, a lot of companies have a really good handle on uh, you know what the internal costs might be, what the cost charges are that they're getting from the internal finance, but there are so many hidden costs that a lot of companies don't necessarily think about, plan about, or, or actually budget for um, at the beginning of the technology life cycle. You know, and those are things, if, if you have a traditional refresh strategy, it tends to be anything from five to seven years on your traditional yes. workplace. And you know, if you're, if you're maintaining an asset for up to six years, you could be paying almost three times the original cost of the device over the, the life of the asset to maintain it and, and run it and upgrade it and do all the things you need yep. to to stay current. Yes. Um, so one of the key benefits there is is refreshing your technology on a much more aggressive um, roadmap. So two to three, depending on the type of technology you're talking about, you know, really enables you to maximize on the efficiencies of how you use that product, how it interacts with the, the software platforms and the now the applications that are now being utilized. It enables you to stay ahead of any of the changes that happen in, in the market. Yeah. Windows 10 is a great example. You. You'll be lucky if you're running an infrastructure that's on six-year-old technology now. It's probably four gigabyte memory. It's probably got you know yep. an older CPU that can't physically run Windows 10 and operate it correctly. Yes. So you either got to upgrade that technology now, or, or by adding extra memory or process power, or change it. Yeah. So clearly, when you put it onto a lease, if you put it on a three-year lease, you are consistently being able to refresh every three years, moving on to latest generation technology, whilst maintaining the same cost structure across that period of time. That, and that's um, you know that's um, that's a fantastic benefit um, mm. both in as you've said keeping hardware current. That, this is definitely something that has um, fallen out of favour. I think since probably about 2008, mm. since the last um, you know, big dip, I think uh, organisations then began to sweat their mm. assets a little yeah, bit more. Prior to that. You know, there would have been refresh cycles, well, as as little as um, three years. Mm. Um, some of the organisations that I was involved with at that point in time, they'd be uh, replacing servers and certainly moving them on into other parts of the business. Mm. You know, so um, you know, hand-me-down servers, if mm. you like, were being passed on. So the actuaries um, who always need um, you know big powerful servers mm. in insurance companies for sure. Um, you know, they would have the latest and greatest, and then you know. A year later, they would perhaps need, you know, the next generation of yeah. latest and greatest. But, you know, another part of the organisation who needed new servers, who perhaps had a four or five-year-old server at that point in time, would then get the hand-me-down from uh, actuarial, which was a good way of doing yeah. it. It worked absolutely fine, and um, you know, everyone was kept happy. But um, the ability to actually refresh your hardware and keep that current is very, very powerful. Now, I know when we've spoken before, mm. um, you know, what we've been speaking of. A lot more about here at the moment has been sort of um, you know desktop and server mm. um, equipment. But I was really fascinated when we spoke before about how you also um, work with organisations around things like mobile phones mm. and iPads and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Now that's something again that before we'd spoken about spoken about it, I hadn't really considered those in that same kind of light. So, are there any examples um, yeah. uh, that you can talk about? I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the the, you know, the um, attendees have read the news articles about a number of the mobile network operators and how they their their bundled solutions um, have uh, not been as clear as they should be. Yes. The best way to put it. So, so what we have enabled a lot of customers to do, and including our own business, um, is, is to actually help them separate out 
the technology that sits within their contracts with mobile network operators so they actually get more control of what it's actually costing them to use and manage the, the mobile devices whether that's android or, or ios devices uh, and actually what we've been able to do is not only help them split out that and gain control of how they're managing that technology but because it's you know, such an attractive product not only in the commercial space but in the, the consumer space mm. we've been able to build some flexible residual leasing in there so actually the cost they pay over the term of the lease is a lot less than what they would experience if it was pure capital expenditure yes um, and actually what we've also been doing is, is again sitting down and not just applying a very standard two-year lease agreement to the mobiles we've actually looked at building in some more flexible leasing options so actually giving them the option so that partway through the lease if they feel like they need to move to latest generation technology because iOS is maybe upgrading to 12 13 14 they can break the lease early without any penalties yes. so we're doing what's called a an 18 plus 6 so it gives the customers a two-year lease but it gives them the option at month 18 to hand the device back and then start again and get a new device in there um, and we're also building in flexibility around um, what we call a loss rate so if a customer loses devices during the lease yep. we're actually giving them scope to say well actually we're unable to return everything because unfortunately somebody's left they've taken the device with them yeah well that actually being penalized for that whereas a lot of leasing companies that that provide sort of vanilla leasing will charge for end of lease charges and it's that kind of hidden cost yes. that we're trying to help our customers remove and, and of course build some flexibility in how they manage all of their technologies from, from mobile through to enterprise. So that's a, um, that's something that certainly the organizations that we've worked with in the past who are putting together um, you know, telecoms plans and mm. things like that, they really don't consider that aspect of you know a device, mm. the number of devices being you know, lost, stolen, damaged, yeah. um, you know, during the, the course and lifetime of a device. Mm. It's quite amazing how many of these devices do get, you know, lost, stolen, broken. Mm. Um, and it's not, um, you know, not something that should be ignored. So the fact that mm. you guys can work um, with organizations, help them through that process and actually make it a lot cheaper into the processes, mm. um, you know, is really powerful. Mm. The other thing I really liked about what you said earlier on as well is um, that focus and concentration on the total cost of ownership mm. as opposed to just looking at the sticker price and saying, oh, yeah. well, look, it's 9.99, that's fantastic. Yeah. But it's 9.99 today, but you have to buy the ink or the toner mm. on, uh, you know, for, yeah. uh, for £100 a month for the next uh, two years. So mm. the total cost of ownership is actually significantly more than the old printer that you would yeah, have bought for £100 in the, yeah. in the store. So um, those kind of calculations and that kind of thinking is something that we're really familiar with helping our clients mm. understand and to think in that way, that total cost of ownership. Mm. Um, because so many organisations these days are operating around a service-orientated model, mm. which I won't say deliberately hides some of those costs, but it makes it less transparent. You know, if you know yeah. you're buying a, to stick with the example, a printer for, you know, a thousand pounds up front, you know the printer costs a thousand pounds, you know the toner's gonna cost, uh, you know, 600 pounds yeah. every, um, you know, every two years or whatever yeah. it may be. Yeah. Um, those costs are perhaps a little bit clearer than uh, they might be if you're entering into some service agreements. Yeah, absolutely, services. absolutely. So that's really good. Now. Um, talk about the VAT aspect. I don't want to get into the whole, whole taxation thing, but um, <laughs> this is a big part on your um, on your deck here. What does what does this um, what does this mean? How's this um, how does this work? How is this legal legal? Not to go too much into the um, the accounting yeah. um, side of it, but it's a it, you know it's a big um, you know delaying VAT payments can mm. obviously be quite a big difference to some organisations, yeah. and certainly in some 
big projects be quite a big number. Yeah, well, even if you look at the straightforward workplace infrastructure, which we, which we talked about earlier, you know, people are spending anything up to about a thousand, maybe even fifteen hundred pounds per laptop. Mm. If you multiply that by thousands of users, you're, you're into some serious numbers. Yeah. And of course, the VAT implications for that can be, you know, quarter of a million up to half a million pounds of yes. the overall expenditure. So there are there are a number of ways. Clearly, if you're funding the acquisition of that technology over a period of time, you're not having to pay that VAT upfront. And of course, if you you can't um, claim all of the VAT elements associated to that, you're going to lose that some of it anyway. The benefits yes. of claiming that back. So the first benefit is clearly by delaying that that VAT implication because you're paying a rental on a monthly or a quarterly basis, which is VAT bearing. Yeah. So straight away, you've got a benefit of not having to outlay all that capex and all the VAT associated with that up front. The second, and probably the, the, the bigger part of the benefit when you're financing, especially through a residual-based lease, um, part of my job is to actually understand the technology and the future values of it. Mm -hmm. So we'll take the, the laptop as the example. So if you're leasing a thousand pound laptop over a three year period, we invest a residual based on what I know our business can achieve for it in the future. So it might cost you a thousand pounds to buy it up front, but if we're investing, let's say, for example, a 20% residual in that technology, mm -hmm. you're actually only funding 80% of the capital cost over the term of the lease. Yes. So immediately, the repayments you're making are associated with 80% of the capital cost, not 100% of the capital cost. Yeah. So the VAT element was associated to the 20 that we've invested a residual. You don't ever have to repay because it's part of our residual investment that we then look to recover at the end of the lease. Now that's really um, that's really interesting because um, some of our um, listeners to the podcast or indeed um, who are online at the moment are not based in the in the UK. So uh, it's a little tiny snippet to explain the the power of that. Your VAT in the UK is uh, twenty percent at the moment. So any item that you uh, that you buy, if it's a thousand pound item, it's going to cost you uh, twelve hundred pounds, um, including the VAT. So uh, being able to defer or delay uh, payment or indeed to reduce your VAT bill mm. is a very attractive opportunity to organizations mm. and just through funding things slightly differently that's um, yeah that's mm. very powerful indeed now some of these things um, you know the VAT piece um, mm. is probably not something the CIOs are going to be mm. um, particularly worried about but it's something that's going to help make the case mm. with the CFO so absolutely how do you guys um, work you know, work with that kind of environment I'm mm. guessing that you know you'll be regularly um, having meetings with um, CFOs or you'll have the executive whether it's the CIO or someone mm. else um, who will be you know the first point of contact and then they'll be mm. engaging the other executives and the other stakeholders within their business to actually you know work through the numbers and to, yeah. uh, and to get the, the process signed off it's a really good point because this then then brings us back really to, to some of the first points we were talking about is when to get us involved yeah and of course if if the the CIO and the CIO's team who are driving the project from a um, transformation perspective if they're building the business case around that technology project one of the key elements is clearly getting that signed off from a budget perspective what we can do and what our team so our, our, our national sales team would do is they become that finance specialist for the technology team yep. to be able to help them present in such a way that they can put forward in front of their finance business, the CFO in particular, um, why this project can be signed off today and what those financial implications are if it goes through a lease. 
And of course, we can spend time with that CFO and sit down and help them understand the benefits of yeah. using a residual-based lease. You know, yeah. Our guys are well experienced in understanding you know, the real benefits and to give as much information to the CFO so he can then sit down with their auditors and understand how they then account for that. Because yes. there are clearly some accounting benefits they might or might not be able to take advantage of, you know, depending on clearly what the auditors tell them. Yeah, so, phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. That, now that's really um, that's really good because I think um, you know, making the business case uh, for technologies, but obviously uh, for the for the whole technology solution, ultimately it's you know the business who are going to be mm. building the business case. Mm. But making the case from a an IT perspective yeah. for you know particular hardware and particular a particular direction and working with you know you guys and the, some of the recommendations you might be um, presenting in that I really think that makes it uh, an easier job for yeah. the CIO um, in that kind of scenario Absolutely. because you're starting to get you know recommendations from trusted third parties whether they be organisations like Close Brothers mm. or Fifth Step or whoever mm. it may be but um, you're know, recognising the value that those, that thought leadership and recommendations bring into the um, into the speed and the ability, the agility of mm -hmm. closing the deal yeah. um, and getting the approval from the CFO at the end of the day. Yeah, and th there are so many hurdles along the way when you're acquiring technology. A lot of the companies we deal with, they go through, they, they've obviously been through acquisitions, they're buying lots of different companies, they've got their own behaviours when it comes to technology acquisition, uh, technology funding and also you know, the supply chain they work with. And sometimes people just rely on those relationships and sometimes they might not be the best organizations to be working with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we can also provide them with insights in the market around whether you know, IDC and Gartners are saying who, who might be stronger partners for them to yes. work with going forward. Yeah. So it, it is an important change to be able to work with both the technologists and also the financial financial people within the organization to, to kind of almost circle the solution in its entirety. Great stuff. Um, Sean, this has been uh, phenomenal today. I'm, I'm really hoping that uh, um, our listeners to the webinar and to the podcast and the YouTube videos that follow afterwards, um, you know, are, are getting some good value out of this today. Now, I'll just remind anyone to ask any questions um, that you may have. Um, we're going to start moving on uh, to the uh, to the close and start to get to some of those questions now. So, if you've got any questions, we've got a couple here already. Um, but uh, if you've got any questions, then do please ask them now, and uh, and we'll do our best to uh, to get to uh, get to all of them. So, um, whilst you're typing your questions, um, it wouldn't be a FISTEP podcast if I didn't remind you about how you can hear more from us and about our podcasts. So there's details um, on the screen at the moment of how to um, subscribe to our podcast. So if you go to fifthstep.com forward slash podcasts, you'll find uh, details of all the previous podcasts that are there. That includes all the recordings and webinars as well. So um, you know, uh, please do go back and have a look at some of those, uh, particularly if you're going through budget cycle at the moment or if you're uh, doing a lot of cybersecurity work at the moment, or indeed if you're still going through the uh, beloved GDPR programs. Um, there's lots of details there. There's also details on our blog, fiststep.com forward slash blog, and also on our videos, uh, fiststep.com videos. You can get in contact with Fifth Step, and um, Sean, I'll ask you to uh, give out some of your details mm -hmm. in a moment as well. But you can get in contact with Fifth Step at info at fifthstep.com or just by visiting uh, fifthstep.com. Um, you can follow us, of course, on the legendary uh, Twitter, and you can find us if you just search for Fifth Step Limited on LinkedIn. Uh, you'll find us there in all the details about Fifth Step. 
And um, Sean, why don't you tell us how the best way to get in contact with you, and we'll scroll this across the bottom of um, the YouTube video for people to be able to. Right. Yeah, the best way is probably my email, which is sean.callanan at closebrothers.com. So really straightforward. Great stuff. Okay, so we've got a couple of questions um, that we'll uh, that we'll go through now. Um, let's have a look. So um, the first question here. Um, Sean, are mm. there any limitations or types of projects that you that you can't work with? Mm -hmm. um, so I guess this might mean, um, you know, we've spoken a lot about projects that involve hardware of different mm -hmm. kinds. Um, if the project is just all professional services, for mm -hmm. example, mm -hmm. is that kind of project that you can't work on or no. that? No, we're pretty flexible. So we can um, finance anything from hardware through to software, transformation services, implementation services. And we're also um, financing intellectual properties. So, so yeah, really yeah, absolutely. Okay. And we've got a number of case studies that, that I'd be happy to share with any of the audience so they can look at some of the experiences and some of the benefits that we provided to customers that are looking to fund other things than just pure tin or yes. hardware in this case. So no, we're happy to. Clearly, there are different lease profiles we would use. Um, the pricing structures are very different, and of course, with soft solutions, there there isn't a residual because yeah. clearly there's no future value in that. No, of course. But yeah, absolutely. You know, we're we're very familiar with uh, the non-hardware assets and, and and services that are required as part of any transformation project. Phenomenal. That's um, that's really good. I think that makes. Uh, mm. um, you know, the power of what we've been speaking about today is uh, magnified by that flexibility and that mm. versatility. Um, another couple of questions here. Let's have a look at this one here. Are there any additional reporting or governance requirements that are required because it's a, a lease agreement? So does the project have to report anything or do anything differently as a result of, um, uh, of it being uh, a lease agreement rather than just being an internal project or anything like that? Um, Oh, crikey. So the answer is no. In, in short, they may have to um, involve us with the supply chain they're working with. The subtle change that would happen is instead of the customer being invoiced by the supply chain, whether that's the hardware or the support or service provider, we would be the person that they invoice. So that's the only documentation change. Um, and from a governance point of view, it's actually more governance on our side. So, you yeah. know, there's the treating the customer fairly and, and knowing our customer um, are all the important factors and, and you know, being an FCA regulated organization, that's you know, hugely part of our governance piece. But no, there's no there's no additional reporting. Clearly from an accounting point of view, there's other things that the finance division will need to do, but that's of course just, yeah. that's after the fact. Yeah. Okay. That's good. So, um, so from a CIO's perspective and the project manager or program mm. manager's perspective, really all they've got to do is continue yeah. to run the project well, uh, be able to demonstrate internally that the mm. project's being run well, and the finance team on the whole are really going to you know pick up any of the real differences. It's just going to be business as usual otherwise. Often organisations see it as a hurdle, as potentially um, you know quicksand that might slow projects and process down. But if anything, as we talked about earlier, it, it, it's a way of enhancing and speeding up some of those decisions, especially when you're looking at the, the budgetary requirements and releasing the money to, to fund those projects. So no, it's far from being a hurdle or any kind of quicksand. It's, it's, a, it's a facilitator more than anything. Great stuff. Okay, so um, last question today, um, unless anyone leaps in with a, a mm. final one quickly. Um, 
what happens at end of life of hardware? Now, mm -hmm. I think that given that um, um, we spoke about the mm -hmm. recycling aspects there, I think what the, um, the question I may be asking here is, um, at the end of the life of the hardware uh, mm -hmm. and the end of the lease, mm -hmm. is there the, the opportunity to either um, maintain that hardware, so um, you decide, okay, this system's perfectly happy, mm -hmm. ticking along on three-year-old hardware, we're mm -hmm. not gonna uh, refresh or anything like that. Is there an opportunity to do that? Or at that point, is it always a, a refresh that people yeah. are doing? So part of the residual base lease is, is you know, part of the process that I manage, my team manage is, um, working closely with our customer to, to actually make sure that as you're approaching the end of lease period, so if you, let's talk about a, you know, the laptop again, a three-year lease, usually about six months prior to the end of lease, so on month 30 of a 36-month lease, we would contact the customer and let them know they're approaching the end of lease period. What we're really keen to try and do then is to help them consider all the options available. So yes, absolutely, they could just allow that lease to continue renting on a month-by-month yes. -month basis. Right. Um, what we're really keen to help them do is to identify any needs they may have to move to the next generation technology. Yeah. So, of course, we can help them put in place the process to manage the end of lease return so they can then move on to the next generation of technology and refinance the next technology that they're, they're acquiring. Yeah. Um, or we can pre-agree. So if they've got a, an expectation that actually to refresh the infrastructure is going to take them at least another six months, we can sit down and agree what are the uh, you know, a predetermined extension period might look like. So, so put in place some things a little bit more um, formal than just allowing it to roll month to month. Yeah. Um, and it gives them almost a target date to work to. If they've agreed that they're going to extend at least six months past the end of the 36-month period, then at least they've got that period to start implementing the new project and, and start the refresh all over again. I think that's uh, fantastic. And that additional flexibility, mm. um, you know, uh, is reassuring because the last thing you want as a CIO is to have that, mm. um, you know, impending edge of cliff moment when uh, you know the hardware has got to go back or it's going to be switched mm. off or something like that because there are always projects that are going to come up that the business is going to prioritise over you know the migration from one server yeah. to another. So having that additional flexibility to you know to roll over and to carry on mm. leasing the. Uh, the hardware or to come up with something more formal if it needs to be a longer term yeah. arrangement is really powerful and really good. Yeah. Well, that's been fantastic, Sean. I really appreciate your time today um, in sharing all of these details with our, um, with our listeners and viewers. That's been fantastic. Um, we'll put your contact details in, as we've said, at right. the bottom of uh, scrolling across, and we'll probably repeat them now. How about <laughs> that? Um, by the magic of editing on the YouTube video. Um, is there anything other points that you think uh, that we should cover that we haven't covered? There is a mountain of technology requirements that our <laughs> customers come to us with um, from, from a technology perspective. So, yeah, well, I ask if, if there are any more questions or any concerns that, that any of the listeners have, then please do feel free to give me an email and, yeah, ask any questions via, via um, the contact details that you'll be sharing. So, no, it, it's, it's been really useful. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks very much, Sean. I really appreciate it. And thanks, everyone, uh, who joined us today. Um, much appreciated. And uh, please join us again on our future webinars.